I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things because your story has power. This one right here is one of my favorite people on this planet. Miss Jean, as I affectionately call her, and I met on a mission trip in Mississippi, and she's since become a dear friend and partner in ministry, even from afar. I love her so dearly. She is a part of a recovery ministry with men in Mississippi, a place that I've also grown to just love, and that ministry is powerful and hard. I hope this one inspires you differently. This may not be your type of ministry, but God may call you to other types of ministry that require you to pour out and not always see the worldly success of your obedience. I hope this one exhorts you like she does me. Miss Jean, I've been so, so, so excited to talk to you and to have you. And I know you're like, this is scary interview and it's not. I wish you could see my coffee. It's over there. But it's really like just having coffee with me. But I am way excited to for people to hear your story, to hear the story of the mission. So let's talk a little bit about just how we met. How did I end up knowing the famous Miss Jean? Oh, my goodness. So let me reverse that and say I got to meet the famous Lauren. I'd heard so much about you. So it was on the second trip that okay. the church came to the mission, I believe right? Yeah. The church had been down and done some work here at the mission and you were on the second mission, short-term mission team that came. So immediately, I can't remember when we first met, I guess at orientation, but then you and I were upstairs and started talking and you shared a little bit of your story and it just immediately gripped my heart. I'd heard a little bit of it, but coming from you, it, yeah, it was, it was something special. Immediately I knew that you were, God was doing something pretty special through you. Yeah, so we that were, was our first officially meet, meeting each other. Instant friends. So yes, for sure. So the mission, so my church is connected because of my pastor's family to the mission. And so we'll back up a little bit to get to cover some of that. But just what's the elevator speech? Let's, what is the mission? So the mission is a, um, so a lot of people call it, Drug and Alcohol Rehabilitation Center. We call it more of a discipleship program. It's a 12 uh, 12-month residential program for men 18 years and older that struggle with life controlling issues, normally drugs and alcohol. They come and they live here at the mission for them for a year. And we just walk them through. The main purpose is to point them to Jesus or back to Jesus if life has led them away from that, but also to give them ways to cope in healthy matters with the things that are causing them to use or things like that. So it's an amazing program. They phase, we may get into the more of that later. I don't know if we will or not, but um, while they're here, they have classes, they go to church, they get introduced to mentors. And then as they phase up in the program, we get them jobs. So they start working. So it's, it's a really cool program. It is really, really cool. And I don't know that I knew what I was getting into or that I knew what I was signing up for. I don't really know. I have always had a love for Mississippi. My youth pastor growing up was connected to a counselor and someone that is there at the mission. So I just have always had a love for Mississippi, but I don't really know honestly what made me sign up for that trip or if I knew what I was getting into. I don't really, I don't really recall, but on that trip, I got to be in the classroom every day that trip. I got to be with those guys, that particular group of guys almost every day. So I just fell in love with what you guys are doing. 
I do have some exposure, you know, in Kansas City to some of our rehabilitation situations mm -hmm. and centers and just because of the kind of work that that Scott and I did with with a lot of our employees, we had seen a lot of drug and alcohol rehabilitation situations that were not always positive. And so right. to watch something that was 12 months, super Christ focused, it like radically changed my perception on some things, made me really rethink Kansas City. And I know yes. that there's another guy that is has been that down there from our church that's really going to pursue doing something in Kansas City differently. So yes. what you guys do is really, really powerful and really, really important. And I realize it's not perfect and I realize you're just people and I'm not trying to overly glorify you guys, but there is something about the 12 months, about the structure, even just location. Yes. Sometimes in Kansas City, you can get out of prison or get out of rehab and get put in a halfway house right across the street from your meth dealer. And so yes. that is obviously less than ideal. So I learned a lot and tried to absorb as much. And then I, you know, came on another trip too, but Anyway, so that's what the mission does, and that we're not even doing justice to why I just really, really love that place. Yes, yes. But your story in that is also really, really powerful and really important. And so if we can, I don't know, let back up to, to where, whatever, wherever you want okay. to start with, how did, how did this become not just your job, but like, I would say your passion, your heart is here. So how did, how did that happen? Yeah, so I don't really know how far to back up. You know, you and I have talked a little bit about my story. I'll just touch on my upbringing. I was raised in a family where I was loved. I never doubted if my parents loved each other. I never doubted if I was loved. Our family was, I came from a very wealthy family. So we, you know, we had the trips. We had, I just had a, a Cinderella. No, Cinderella is not the right word. I just had a wonderful upbringing. So I didn't have a lot of wounds from the past that so many people I'm finding do now. So I didn't have a heart for that. I was, I was really insensitive to those type things. But as, as I grew and started seeking the Lord and asking the Lord to give me a faith, to make me truly have a relationship, he allowed my life to fall apart. So I would say at Near 40 is the first time I dealt with any major heartbreak in my life. And then it was just a complete shattering of my life. Okay. So yeah. when your life fell apart, it led you down a path that helped you to understand some things. And I don't know how far you want to get into some of that, but I think it walks us into some of the materials that are used. So sure, again, sure. If you say anything you don't want to keep, I, I won't keep it, but I just, however you want to walk into what you say when your life turned upside down, what did that look like for you? Yeah, let me just touch on kind of the, the path that I took to get to that place. I was married and had four children. We had a wonderful, or so I thought a wonderful life together, just thriving, growing. Actually, I had, I had gone from being, I was a hairdresser for so many years, I had gone to start working for my husband. So we were working together. The kids played sports. We were just a family that spent a lot of time together off and on in church, not a major spiritual emphasis in our life or in our marriage, but enough. My husband was a preacher's child. I was a preacher's child. So we knew God. I knew who God was. I had grown up in church. I had 
walked an aisle. So anyway, I was just really seeking an authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus. I didn't know what I was seeking, but I was seeking it. So one day I went in my bathroom and I just earnestly prayed to God. I said, God, in that scripture, it says, where a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. I want that. I had no idea when I prayed that prayer what God was going to allow in my life. And in a matter of weeks, my husband walked in one day and I was in the den and I was like, like something's going on with you. What's going on? And he looked me in the face and he said to me, I don't love you anymore. And I haven't loved you for a very long time. And in that moment, I literally fell to the floor, couldn't catch my breath and couldn't believe what I was hearing. It in a moment shattered my world. The things that would unfold over the next two years were were very, very difficult. Were very hard. Okay. Very difficult. Yes. Right. Very difficult. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the point I came to of the that just that in that instant, and then what proceeded with just our family completely falling apart and being the children being left to ourselves, and it was a very difficult few years. Okay. So then what transitioned for you then to you became a kind of famous for a certain curriculum that got brought there. So, I mean, again, you don't have to get into too much detail, but you turned to something that, that made it hard to get out. I mean, you kind of got yourself in a, in a hole. I did. So I found myself in a place where I kept finding hope, of course, hope in the wrong things, and then they would be dashed or the family would look like it was coming back together. And then I would find out a new revelation. So I spent this time of just being in limbo. And I once read that being in limbo is being on the edge of hell. So that's where I felt like I lived for so long. So one day, my dearest friend was at school and she said she just felt the prompting to come check on me. So when she got to the house, she found me in the floor in a very, very bad place. So she called my mother and they immediately rushed me to the doctor, afraid that I was going to do something to myself, injure myself. And so the doctor um, did what some doctors know to do, and that was numb it. So that introduced me to this beautiful thing of how to make my pain go away. Hmm. So Zenex, Prozac, whatever I could get to just numb. So I didn't have to think about the day. I had gotten to the point where I would beg God like, God, let me fall asleep so for however long I can manage to sleep, the pain would go away. And then as soon as I would wake up, it would just hit me again. Mm-hmm. Understand, I came from a situation where we had never dealt with anything like this in my family. So my dad, who was a pastor, who loved me, didn't know what to do for me. My church didn't know what to do for me. My in-laws, who were pastors, they didn't, we had never dealt with anything like this. So nobody knew what to do or how to help me or any of us. And I certainly didn't know. I searched for everything, read every book, did everything I could do, and the pain would not go away. So at this point, I found something that made the pain go away. And that was prescription medicine. Okay. So I just became a zombie with a little four-year-old daughter that would, was left to herself. And yeah, it got really, it got really ugly there for a while. Okay. So how did you get out of that? I mean, and, and you've always said nobody knew how to do it. No, nobody had been exposed to it before. So and I think that's important I, not to not to get to be the guinea pig, but like you were a really pivotal part in people learning some things about how to how to walk this out. Um, yes, it became a really, really powerful part of the mission story. 
but in that in that season when nobody knew what to do what's the turning point how did you get out yeah so it was it's kind of um it's not kind of it's all jesus so i didn't have a personal relationship with jesus so as i'm drowning and sinking i don't know where to turn so Thank God he loved me enough that he helped me just say, I'm done with the whole numbing thing. So I had a friend, I'm like, how do, what do I do? I didn't want anybody to know why I'd got myself on all this medicine. So I was able to get her to walk me off of these things. So just step me down. I did some rescue pipe medication for a while, but at some point I just physically I'm visual. So I need to see things. I took all the medicine I had. I took the bottles off. I dumped them in the commode and I flushed it. And I said, I'm done. I'm done. I just can't do this anymore. God was waiting, I guess, on me to do that. But the soon after that is when my life turned around because I found the book, Life's Healing Choices by John Baker, that God used to absolutely save my life. And out of that will grow what we have now. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty okay. Cool. So did you start doing that by yourself? Or did you walk? I did. Okay. So just alone. Yes, I did. I got this book. Something told me I found it in Walmart. You know, I laugh now and say, you can't even find that book in Walmart. I don't know that it was ever even sold in Walmart. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting mm -hmm. to know. I found it in Walmart one day. I picked it up and I just said, um, God, whatever this book says, I'm going to do it. I don't know what it was about the book. It was something and I said, I'm going to do every single thing in this book. Mm -hmm. So I got the book. I came home, I had a little dog at the time. I would sit in my um, chair in my bedroom and I would just read. And for the first, Lord, for the first time in years, I had hope. Mm. Like I read something, I'm like, I can, I can, I can live, I can make it. I'm going to survive this. Mm. So I had that hope and I think that hope just kept me going through it and going through it, going through it. And basically what Life's Healing Choices is, it's a Christ-centered 12-step coming out of denial, facing what you can change, what you can't change. The huge part of that was forgiveness, like walking through and showing me what forgiveness is, what forgiveness is not, and all of those type things. But there's also a chapter in there, if you haven't turned your life over to Jesus, then it walks you through that. Hmm. So at one point I found myself on my floor in my bedroom weeping and just said, God, Jesus, I don't have anything to offer you. I'm losing my house. I'm losing my family, everything. But please, please help me, like rescue me, send me whatever I have is yours. And in an instant, Jesus picked me up and rescued me. And then the journey started to get to know him and to start healing. And I spent so much time in Psalms, just weeping with God. And, and another important thing for me and for anybody that may be listening that grew up in church, another important thing for me was I finally realized through reading Psalms that I could tell God life wasn't good and it wasn't okay. And I didn't have to pray this King James prayer and act like I was, you know, presented to God in a way that had to be a certain way. I could actually go, you know, Okay, I call it snot myself, like crying and just weeping. And God, this isn't fair, and I don't understand this, and this hurts, and I don't know what to do. And God, please help me, help my children, you know. So that was a turning point when I began a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and that was just so you beautiful. Be honest, honest with Him, He already knew anyway. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But that was the first time I realized that. I don't know why it took me that long to realize that, but that's but starting to build that relationship was was amazing. Yeah. Okay. So then what's that look like? Cause, cause you start, I mean, you, your life's healing choices and then somehow celebrate recovery. Yeah. You kind yes. of became famous for, I think maybe then people realized, 
okay, she looked like she had it together. You know, she's this, this kind of, you know, person that comes from this other kind of background. Oh, but now I can admit to her that I struggle too, or how did yes. that, what did that look yes. like? Yes. So, so, um, their life selling choices, the, it would say, if you need to do more work or need more help or whatever, find a celebrate recovery. So I looked and I couldn't find a celebrate recovery. So I just went to my dad one day and I was like, dad, this book keeps talking about a celebrate recovery. My dad and my mom, my mom was still living then. And, um, I think one of these would help me, but I can't find one. And so my dad, you know, my dad, uh, my dad was like, well, then we'll just start one. I could just start one. I was like, well, okay, let's start a Celebrate Recovery. So we, we got all the information and at his church, we started to Celebrate Recovery. But what ended up happening was because my marriage breakdown was so public in our small town and we were people that everybody knew, people followed what happened and they knew I was a wreck and they knew I was a mess. My husband went to a different town and the kids and I were still here. So as God started healing my heart um, and working through me, I started working with other women that um, were going through similar things. So yeah. we would meet for coffee or whatever. And it really got to where people would see us at a local coffee shop or even in the golden triangle with there's some pounds around us. And if you were meeting with me on a Saturday morning, you must have something going on. <laughs> so yeah. small town gossip. So I really felt like we needed a place that was safe that I could meet with women, whether it was, um, you know, they were being abused or their husbands were in affairs or they just were unhappy, whatever that looked like, but somewhere they could come and not get labeled and not have somebody trying to listen from the other you know, table or anything like that. So yeah. that's where we started getting into a ministry that moved from life selling choices to celebrate recovery, to looking for a place that would be a safe place for people to come and recover from all type things. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. celebrate recovery so. is a step program similar yes. to AA and NA and the, the ones that are, are a little bit more known, but instead of higher power, they're very Jesus focused. Jesus. That's is right. That yes. How you would describe that. That's right. 12 steps use all the biblical principles and the higher power recognized is Jesus Christ. Okay. And it's an amazing program. It's for, it's for addiction, but it's also for grief and anger and codependency and you name it. So I went, I, I um, attended to help with the divorce I was going through at this, at this point, we had pretty much decided there wasn't any restoration and we were seeking divorce. So I was going that, but there's also arms of it that reach out to drug and alcohol and different things like that. So, okay. So you started Celebrate Recovery at your dad's church. And then yes. what did that look like? And obviously your parents were walking through some of this with you. So tell me how, how it ended up birthing where we're at now. Okay. Yeah. So Celebrate Recovery, like you said, it started at my dad's church. So it grew and grew. My dad pastors a small church and man, still? oh man. Yes. Still, still, okay. still pastors the same church. So, um, we had no idea the people that were looking for recovery from all different types of things. So it grew and it grew rapidly. If you know my dad and you do know my dad, Lauren, he has a heart for people. He has a heart for broken people. My dad came from a broken family. So his parents, he had both of his parents were alcoholics. So he struggled with a lot as a young, a young child. So he really has a heart for this. So it just grew to the point that it outgrew his church and we moved it to another church. But in the meantime, we wanted to start one. So this, his church is about 20, 25 minutes from 
where we are now, where we live in West Point. And so we started having a lot of requests for, hey, will y'all start to celebrate recovery in West Point? Will there ever be a celebrate recovery in West Point? Dad and his prayer group had already been praying some men. They've been getting together faithfully, I think eight, nine years. Dad can tell you more of the time and praying about what God wanted them to do to help young men. So basically that just kind of merged. And dad started looking for and praying for a place that we could do some recovery type work, whether it was grief share, whether it was divorce care, whether it's celebrate recovery or whatever it was, just to open it up to different things in the community where people were hurting. We didn't want it to be a church. We didn't want it to be a denomination. We didn't want it to have the stigma of, hey, if I come here, something's wrong with me or anything like that. So for a few years, Dad found different things and they would just fall through and fall through. And of course, he, being a man of such strong faith, would say, well, that's just not what God has. That's just not what God has. Eventually, we found the location that we're now at and started the Celebrate Recovery and all that, which turned into the Men's Center. Okay. So you started doing it there. Yes. And then now it is where, I mean, how many how many men did you accept first to live there? So we- Yes. So we actually, when we had just, there was a small building on the west side of our campus. You're familiar with it. It's where we eat. So we actually started there and that's when we had to celebrate recoveries and different things. And the the men's center really had, we hadn't figured that out completely. So we actually found a homeless guy just at the gate and we took him in and let him live in the back of that building. Like we just got a couch and some lamps. We just couldn't send him back out. So that we started with just a man actually. And then when God really laid on daddy's heart to buy the building across the street, which is where the men's center is housed now, it's 28,000 square feet. He, he felt led to, it had been vacant for at least a decade, maybe a little longer. I threw a fit too much. We can't do that. My dad, again, being a man of strong faith, knew God was telling him to do it. So he's like, okay, well, we're going to do it anyway. So when we got this building, um, we started renovating it little by little. And I, I want to say we had maybe three men at first. But we had rooms, we went ahead and prepared rooms for seven. So we thought one day we'll fill this up with seven men. Okay. That was our goal. (laughs) Yeah. So really just little by little, how, how long ago was that? The very beginning. So I, I do not do dates. Five years, maybe. Okay. Gosh, a lot's happened. Yeah. A lot's happened in five years then. Okay. So little by little, I mean, whether it's local churches or then I know like there's some groups and organizations that have, have played a part in certain, you know, we're going to adopt this certain area and we're going to give money to this. Or when Gateway comes, we try to do a project very specific, or we know of one that you are like in love with. And so then we try to make (laughs) it happen for you or whatever. So whatever it is. But it, it, a little by little in that many years, it has grown to be, you can house how many people now? We can house 52 men. Holy cow. 52 men. Yes. We don't currently house you that don't. many. Right. Because we still have some showers to finish, but we have beds for 52 men. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Incredible. So that's a big difference than seven being the goal. Yes. yes. So let's, let's talk too about then, you know, these guys come. They, they start, I mean, they have to detox if they're, uh-huh. if they're an addict, if that's their issue, they detox before they get there. That's correct. And, and they spend, you know, different times in different phases. The reality is the statistics and the success rate are really not very pretty. That's correct. Unfortunately, even 
Jesus focused, not Christ centered, the stats don't actually change. That's right. Addiction is very hard to turn. Yes. How do you continue to love what you do, pour your heart and soul into it, knowing that so many of these people that we fall in love with are going to struggle again? Yes. It's difficult. It's at first, it was very, very difficult because as you know, Lauren, these men, you don't experience and and spend time with these men and leave that time unchanged. It changes you. I can't really explain it. Broken people are so beautiful. Broken people that know they are broken are so beautiful. And they love so beautifully when you see them as who they are and not as their brokenness, if that makes sense. So these men, when you come in with a heart to love them and serve them as you have and so many of y'all have, it changes you because you get attached to these men. So um, I wish I could articulate it. I don't, I don't know how to talk about it, which is weird for me to run out of words, but it is hard to articulate why I fell in love with them the way that I did. And, and, and every time I was just there for a graduation for like 24 hours and some of them just really grab, grab at you. And, and it really, is that just because God's people, I mean, because we are all, if we're all image bearers, did it just change me? Did it just change that I recognize that we're all the same and that everybody's struggles are are really mm-hmm. at the core the same? Our need is the same. Our depravity is the same. I don't know. I, I, I can't quite figure out why, but it did. I mean, the first trip, like really, really, I mean, in a, in a great way, jacked me up and yes. it made yes. me like, okay, could I love other people in this situation the same way as I loved the, that first group? And you do, and you, but you, you do grieve when they struggle, you celebrate big when they, when they celebrate. So it is hard to articulate because I, you know, they're, they're just people and we could run into people all over the place with, with similar struggle. So maybe it is just the, their humility and their ability to, to be honest about their brokenness. Maybe there is a real attraction to that that makes it where you just want to pour on love to people yes. that, are, that are willing to admit. I mean, one of them not that long ago in, in when he was telling his story, so honest about my family was so broken. So I went out trying to find how I could have a different family than that because I just wanted a family and I just wanted to love so bad. Mm-hmm. And so he was talking about the way he went out and tried to create it. I mean, that was really self-aware really honest. So I think there is, there is something to be said about the humility and the, just the absolute transparency that is such a draw. Yes. Yes. But I can't figure it out. Yeah. And you know, we have men coming here many times that are just completely hopeless. I mean, head down, just visibly seeing that. And then to be able to be a part of and to experience the other men come around them and just watch that hope come alive. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's incredible. It's just incredible. And then for the men to gradually start seeing, I've got a purpose. I was created for a purpose. Yeah. Like that God has things for me, things that they have either never heard or haven't allowed themselves or been able to think for some of them since they were 13 and 14 years old, some of them even earlier than that. So you can imagine just, I mean, I get the privilege and the honor to do kingdom work every, like every day we are sharing Jesus. We are, we are 
spreading hope. I mean, there's a lot of other aspects of it, but basically we get to come in every day and just scripture and are reminded of the promises of God and what we were created for. I mean, where do you get to do that every single day? You know, it's just, it's incredible. And it's like, we're like a kid with a secret and we have this great secret. We have the answer to hope. So when they come in and they're hanging their head or gosh, that first trip, when I got to talk about their identity and watch them write identity statements and grab a hold of that, they are valuable. And there was one of them who I had asked the takeaway at the end of the week. I've, I've shared this before, but I was at the end of the week, I was like, what, what'd you hear this week? What's your biggest takeaway? And one of, you know, you're expecting like, I mean, our pastor talked every day and I was in the classroom and one of them was like one of our volunteers that is kind of the construction header upper. And he would tell you he's not a teacher. And he said, he said, well, Miss Lorne, he told me that I was valuable. And I was like, that's it. That was your, that, that was, he could hardly tell me that he was so, that nobody had ever said that to him before. So that, that he had a purpose, that he was valuable and that another man looking him in the face and telling him, I could not wait to run upstairs and tell him, Hey, you were the biggest takeaway that your, your minutes with him that were personal were his biggest takeaway. So yes, it's like, you have the secret and I just can't, it's so fun to get to tell the secret. To get to to get to be the one that knows the mystery of hope and identity and purpose, and then to watch them just a little bit grab a hold of it. Yes, yes. So, and I and know, I know. Look that, at our words. What yeah. our words, the value our words hold. I mean, absolutely. We can say that with these men here, or with our children, with our spouses, with each other. Look at what just a word yeah. does. You know, it's incredible. Yep. No, for sure. So, okay, personally, when it's heavy when it's hard, when you're disappointed, when you, when you look at a whole group and they all struggle or they all relapse, yeah. not, not, not in whole and they're individual people, but, but in, it, the enemy can tell you every one of those messed up or you failed or yes. personally, what do you do when it gets heavy like that? So I used to handle a lot different than I do now. It still hurts. It's still very hard, but I see God's hand in so much of this. Mm-hmm. And so I, I press in, I lean in hard and say, God, I, their season here was short or maybe it was long. And we did what you asked us to do. You entrusted this man in, in our care for X amount of time. And I'm trusting you to take it and do with it what your plan is. Don, who has doing this way longer than I've done. I used to go to his office. One of the volunteers. Yes. One of the volunteers that works here full time. I, sometimes I would just be in tears. A lot of times I would be questioning things and he would just say, Gene, we did what we were called to do. We did what we were called to do. We pray for him now. You know, they may come back. They may not come back, but we've done what we were called to do. And then I have to be super careful that I don't blanket the guys with a disappointment or a poor choice another guy makes. Yeah. Um, as a staff, we try to remind each other of that because just because so-and-so left or just because so-and-so relapsed, we cannot blanket that on the next guy that's here and really wants it and all. So we, we've got to stay very individualized and just truly believe that we're doing what God has called us to do. When a man comes here, we believe God has entrusted us to him yeah. for whatever time he's here. And it's so his, his work. It's his work. It's his statistics. 
it's his, you know, uh, success rate. It's, it's his one, the second trip I was there, it was somebody, somebody went home or got released while we were there. And it felt like it was like on my watch a little bit. And, and I, and I fought that too, but yes. I remember, and I'm not going to articulate this well, because I'm not going to do it justice, but there was a day we were like breaking for lunch and you, you took it all like you regrouped it. You perfectly and beautifully led. It's going to make me emotional. It was so, it was so good. So powerful because yeah. you said, here's the deal. They are the Lords inside the fence and outside the fence. And you found the tension somehow, cause it's a tightrope tension to yeah. love vulnerably to like give of yourself and then not carry the weight of their choices and beat yourself up or it's this weird because you could get cold you personally you could choose to go well i'm just not going to love as deeply right. because then it won't hurt as bad yes and you articulated and let out in a way that was like here's how we're going to do this here's how we're going to love and here's the reminder that yes this is sad and this was hard, but they were the Lords when they came and they're the Lords while they're here in our care. And they're the Lords on the outside of the fence. Yes. And that's the truth. The truth is it's God's deal. And yes. only he saves and only he redeems and only he heals. Yes. And yes. You guys get to be a vessel sometimes on the inside, sometimes on the outside, sometimes <sighs> still used and still the tool, even when the guys graduate. Yes. But at the end of the day, we can't carry the success or failure because then that's us trying to be the healer the healer and yes. the savior i was mixing those words yes so. no that's really stated because that is true and if i think if we ever get to the point where we think we do any of the changing then we've lost sight of what we're here to do it's about yeah. pointing them to jesus showing them jesus inviting the holy spirit in to work transform hearts minds and lives we can't do that we can keep the uh, we can give them a safe place. We can give them a bed. We can give them meet a lot of their needs. But ultimately, we've just got to keep pointing these men to Jesus. We've just got to keep pointing them, keep them in the word. You know, my dad has them in the word every day. So that's and we know that's what's going to that's why our theme verse is don't be conformed to this world. But you transformed by the renewing of your minds, you know, so we we keep them in the word and let the Holy Spirit do the work. So, yeah, yeah. not us. It's not about us. We're like you said, we're just vessels. We get the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be a part of what God's doing here. That's pretty cool. It is cool. It is cool. And yes. it's really, really well done. But it you you change all the time. You figure out what doesn't yep. work. What does, I, I mean, I, I watch that every time I'm there. You know, it's a little bit different. And you have a really good group of volunteers. So that's a yes. really big part of what works. I mean, your dad is teaching every morning at 6 a.m. Yes. Is that right? Six, yeah, five forty-five in the morning. Holy moly! Six Holy days moly. a week, he's with the men, discipling. Yeah. yeah. So between him and I mean, some of the volunteers, oh. another a, a farmer that is there in the mornings yes. with them. I mean, yes. and they have a beautiful story and the way that God uses them and the way that the guys serve with you know making the beds with that organization and those people that love them so well. And I mean, I could just go on and on and on about the way that all of you work together so well is really. Yes a gift as well that, yes, I mean, that the is. Lord has put those people in place for you. But I know it's exhausting in a good way. I don't mean that people are wearing you out, but it is yes. a hard job. And yes. without the volunteers and without the 
rhythm and the routine, it's hard. Even with the yes. rhythm and routine, it's hard. Yes. So what would you say now? I mean, you have, like you said, there's 52 beds. There, there's a place for 52. I mean, aside yes. from the need for volunteers, because if you, if you grew the growing pains of growing to be able to house that many people, their prayer and just the people to fill in the gaps it is is giant but what are the biggest needs in order to continue to move forward right now like what are your biggest needs right now yeah so you did mention prayer and i don't want to flippantly say prayer i i truly say prayer like we cherish those prayers we've got to continue to walk in the spirit and walk in unity as a staff um this is not an easy ministry it's a very difficult ministry but it is a life-changing ministry and the enemy doesn't like to see life changed mm-hmm. so truly if you have to write it down and put it on a sticky note by your nightstand the prayers i cherish those we cherish those we desperately need those the next thing we need is i mean Everybody knows this. We need supporters. We need, you know, recurring supporters, $5, $10 a month, $20 a month, $50 a month, nothing's too small because the fact of the matter is it takes a lot of money to run a a place like this. Mm -hmm. Insurance, the utility bills, you can imagine on a 28,000 square foot facility feeding these men. Uh, We keep a very small staff, moderately paid staff, but we still have staff that has to be paid. Uh, There's just so much. So I would encourage anybody that's willing to, to look at even the smallest recurring donation is very, very helpful. And then, you know, we take any type of donations, volunteers, anything like that. But Prayers and fi- and financial support. That's honestly what we cherish and need the most. Yeah. And I would just say if people are, you know, wanting to think through like how to pray for for staff, I mean, you gotta think some some of your staff people are also come from a- addiction or yes. marriages when you are pouring out how yes. how hard it is to then be as healthy as you want to be at home. So just all of that, that, that there's a lot of pieces involved in, in pouring out and doing, do, doing full-time ministry. And while you're not in a church every day, you're doing it's full-time ministry and yes, how you guys get filled and, and poured into is really, really important. And I know there's a ton of churches that come down and people that come and pour into your chapel services and feed you guys, yes. feed, feed the guys and feed the teams when we're there and, and all of that. But yeah, I, I, the, I take the praying part really seriously. I mean, I feel always feel heavy in a really good way for you yes. when I leave because I'm reminded of what you're what you're doing and and how hard how hard and beautiful ministry like that really is. And yes. I when I feel heavy or sad, I, I know you're more heavy and more sad yes, about a situation yes. because you live it. And so I think that helps me pray for you because I feel super connected. I feel like their mom sometimes. Yes. And yes. Want, want to drive down there when someone is hurt and yes. show up and be the weirdo in the hospital. But <laughs> because I feel that. And so then what God does is quickly reminds me, if you feel that, you know how Miss Jean feels. Yes. And, and so- to have you to reach out to, you know, and I do that often without giving any information that I can't give about them, but I reach out to you often with specific things. So having you and and, and the understanding that you have of, being connected and knowing how these men just rip your heart being able to reach out to you whether it's for me personally or my family or for some of the men here in the program it's priceless to me that's like a breath of fresh air to me to have that so i'm grateful 
truly, Lauren, for the ability to to have you in that capacity. And then, of course, the staff training that I just know you're going to come down and assist us with soon. It's going to be yeah. wonderful. No, I love it. I love it. It is really one of my favorite places. And, you know, the football team and my brother and then being down there recently was just like, oh, my gosh, I just want to I just want to go every chance and watch all the things, watch watch people change, watch people grow, watch you be excited about things. <laughs> like yes, yes. I just wanted to be there in person all the time. So I do really, really love it. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, obviously that was really intertwined, you know, your story, it goes beyond, I mean, you still have kids growing and you're still walking out this walking with Jesus, but it also yes. really intertwines with the mission. And so it was hard to leave, you know, those parts out. So yes, for sure. For sure. And just, just learning and knowing that healing is possible. I spent so many years just hopeless and not knowing about that and, and understanding the, the road that had to be traveled to find healing, but it's possible. It's so freeing. I just, you know, I say I'm eternally grateful for the pain in my life because it brought me to Jesus. So I just, the hope that's found through that. It doesn't matter what it is, drugs, alcohol, abuse. I don't care what it is. There's healing to be found. And the answer is is Jesus. And I'm so grateful that I met him personally. And now I get to wake up every day and share that hope with other people. It's just, it's incredible. It's just incredible. I keep using incredible. I don't know another word to use because it, it truly is. Oh, it is. And, and you're then we have contagious. I know. <laughs> but your 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 energy and your passion for it is contagious and i think it reminds us that like you said that people can change that there is that there is healing and hope and that's true whether we come from a, that that kind of background we all have pain a lot yes. of people have pain that they don't want to uncover yes because they're afraid i think of the hurt of going back a little bit in order so what would you say to somebody that's like i don't want to go through celebrate recovery or life's healing choices because that's going to hurt too bad what yes. would you say to them oh that's a great question because we even have the men do this here because we take them back to those places so god will take us back to those places of pain to heal us he can't heal us if we don't go back to those places and revisiting those places is very difficult and it and it's scary and it's hard. And sometimes we don't know who will be if we go back and we we heal and we don't have the bitterness or the whatever, because we've lived that for so long. Mm -hmm. But I would say just like surgery, surgery hurts, but you get it out of there and get the bad stuff out of there. And then for a while, you're going to hurt and you're going to heal and you're going to be well. And so that's what I would say. Don't be afraid to go back there. But I'd also say don't go back there alone. Find somebody that will walk that with you. Because you need somebody to remind you of those things and you need somebody to walk through those places. And the best place, the best person to do that with is somebody that's walked through that same hurt or pain and God has healed their heart. Because mm. they can walk through it with you and remind you, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it. And it is so worth it. My kids now today have a healthy mother. They have a mother that loves the Lord. If I had not, if I had stayed where I was, I don't know that I would be alive today. And it was difficult and it was hard to make some choices that I had to make and forgive some people I had to forgive. Most of all, forgive myself, but I would do it a hundred times over to be where I am today. That's it's good. just, it, yeah, it's just, it's worth it. It's worth whatever it takes. And I would encourage anybody that's struggling with any kind of hurt or pain, habit, hang up, addiction in life, get life's healing choices. Walk through that book. Just let that 
begin you on the road to healing. It's it's next to the Bible is the most amazing book. God used it to totally transform and save my life. Hmm. Okay. It's really good. You are like one of my favorite people Ugh. in the whole wide world, but you are so gritty. Your story is, and I don't, I don't think you think of yourself as like a really strong personality or, but there's so much grit there. There's so much just grit your teeth and, and I'm gonna, gonna do this and I'm gonna figure out how to do this better and healthier. And, um, and I know that's the Lord. And I, and I see that, that that's what's so contagious. That's what makes people drawn to, to him. But, but there is, he instilled things that you didn't let get wasted. That's what the grit is. You, you allowed him to, to do those things that are changing and, and, and are playing a huge role in changing other people. So I love that. That's awesome. I'm super grateful for you. I love what you're doing at the mission, but I really just love you. So I love you too. Get down here soon, please. Okay. Thank you for real. Thank you. I know this is not like your, uh, like idea of a really good time, <laughs> but you, uh, I suckered you in. So yes, it's an honor to be asked. Thank you for asking me. I yeah. hope God will use my story in some way to help somebody. He will. He will. Well, thank you so much. I will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. I love you. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at OrdinaryGrit.com. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at OrdinaryGritPodcast to get to know me and my guests.